Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 53. Wow, we're getting old. We are. It feels like it, doesn't it? It does indeed. After a huge sort of, what, 10, 15 days of CES and all the news going on, we're all back together again and back into the regular rhythm of the show. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to be anyway, that's for sure. Now, there's, there's been some interesting uh, interesting turn-ups in the last week or so, last week or two. Um, here in New Zealand, of course, we've really been in the in the in the tech news I know. Around, around the world, everywhere. CNN, Twit TV, oh, you name it, we've been on it. Fox News. Yep. So, what what's uh, what's been happening, Brad? What's your perspective on on what has happened? Um, who is mega upload? Who who are the key personalities here? And what do you think is actually going to happen, and what's the impact? I want to put a caveat before we even start this discussion. Okay, let's hear it. In no way does the NZ Tech Podcast support piracy in any way in what we're going to talk about now, because people might construe any frame that we're supporting it. And I want to be very clear that we, we don't do it, Paul. We're, we're, we're big advocates of trying to make sure people get paid for what they do. Absolutely. So in saying that, Mega Upload, what it is, has been a file sharing site. It's been ability for people to put legal and illegal files up online and there's a very key point there that a lot of the media are missing they're just thinking it's all illegal files um, mega um, mega upload has been used for legal software as well and I've personally used it for legal purposes as a lot of other people before things like Dropbox and and SkyDrive and other those other facilities came out so what actually happened is that illegal software like movies songs have been put up there and the record movie industry has gone to the FBI. The FBI has followed that through, and they've been tracking the mega upload guys for quite a while now. Now, one of the things that they've been charged with in New Zealand, and it's going to be across to the FBI in America, is racketeering. And a lot of people have missed this. They just think they're getting charged for piracy. They're not actually getting charged for piracy. They're getting charged under the Piracy Act and the racketeering part of it. And what they mean by that is one of the key things is that Imagine, hypothetical, Mr. Paul Spain uploads an illegal file, which he would never do. And Thank you, Brad. That's right. And out of that, I go in to, share, to grab that file. And while I'm there, I get to see some advertising. Now, Mega Upload are getting paid for that advertising on that illegal, where that illegal software is. That is the racketeering part that they're one of the charges they're getting um, dealt to really heavily. That's actually the biggest charge that they're going for. And... This is one where a lot of the media is getting very, very confused. They just think they're getting done for holding a handy cam. And I heard, I've heard, i actually heard this reporting in the media. Mm. They think Mega Upload is people in movie theaters holding handy cams, recording software, movies, and then uploading them. That's not the case. No. One of the other big things that they're getting done for as well is the staff there are reportedly, is still reported at the moment, to have been then looking at all this illegal software and putting it off into their own private folders and then pirating it from there. Interesting. Now, Mega Upload have always said that any DRM content or any illegal content they've removed and blocked, which they have in the past, and they've actually had a government official that's been um, on site with them, if you like, like a lot of the agencies do, and they're supposed to be monitoring to make sure it's legal. So that there is some other legalities there that I, I'm not going to go into on here, but there is there's a lot. That's one of the key things. And what I what I it's find, interesting. What I find uh, interesting is the similarities between 
Mega Upload and YouTube. Yes, now this is a really good segue. Now, if we look at the early days of YouTube, it's fairly widely believed, and I don't know the facts because I, I wasn't at YouTube. I've never, you know, I've never got too uh, uh, too close to the guys that started uh, started YouTube. But it's fairly widely believed that YouTube, in part, was built off content that YouTube did not own. Yes, that, that illegal that's, yeah. illegal content. Yep. Now and still today, there are huge amounts of copyrighted and illegal material that are that is uploaded to YouTube. Now, let's, an exa- just one example, because again, people get very confused. They think it's a a movie rip. Let's just say you record something off your television onto your PC, and then put that content up online into YouTube. With, without the express permission of the television of, company, yeah, or, or whatever it is, that's illegal. It's a TV show, or an ad. That's illegal. You can't even put those funny ads that we all like to see. That's illegal. And, and that is where people get very, very confused, with, with especially with likes of YouTube, because they have come out and said they're very worried about this, because mm. they could get done. That would be really interesting. So the, the difference is because they, there, are, there are rules in the, in the U.S. that protects those companies – um, and and YouTube is one of the examples, and this is this is a, 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 my understanding of the key difference here is that YouTube were protected because apparently, apparently they didn't know uh, or condone the illegal content being put up, and they did move, you know, they did move, you know, however quickly to. Uh, make it easy for copyright holders to say, "Hey, this is a le- this is our content, and it shouldn't be up on YouTube." And those systems still stand today. And YouTube will, in a lot of cases, act reasonably quickly if you complain that some content on YouTube is is illegal. And a lot of podcasts have actually had their episodes blocked because they've put a little bit of a sample snippet of some content into their episode. Yep. So. It is actually reasonably easy to get content blocked, and there are even automated tools now that go through the content. So, oh, that's you know not right because of you know ABC music video whatever content that's not allowed. Um, now, the the story is that with Mega Upload, that they had some of these systems in place where a copyright holder, for instance, a um, a, a film company, could say, "Hey, that's not right. Here's the link." of a movie that we want you to remove because this is ours and it shouldn't be up on Mega Upload. Now, my understanding is that Mega Upload would then go and remove that link, but in actual fact, they would have numerous links potentially back to a single piece of content. So instead of removing the core content, and if there were a thousand links to that content, all of those links, when somebody complained, they would just remove that one particular link, thereby... Um, continuing to profit off the illegal content, so this is this is really what we're waiting to hear. Is for I mean, at, the, at this stage, we're waiting to hear whether um, Kim dot com or, or Kim uh, Schwartz is going yep. to be um, 
allowed out on bail to start with. Hot news, he's just been denied. Oh, he has been? Just okay. in the last half an hour oh, recording okay. the show. Yep, oh, very just, interesting. So he's just been denied um, bail. Okay, okay. Oh, that's Because uh, he had uh, 43 credit cards uh, ready to go and three passports with three different names ready to go. So he has just been uh, denied. So if you're listening to this, it's coming out Tuesday evening. New Zealand time, um, he's just been denied bail over here. Fascinating. Okay, well, it'll be interesting just to see how that side of it progresses and then obviously whether the extradition gets accepted and so on. So th- this is a, you know, there's a lot there's a lot more ahead I'm sure in this uh, in this case so we will uh, we'll wait we'll wait for more on that so what do you think about the US government being able to come into another country where the servers weren't hosted but the resident was and to execute all this by execute I mean as in go out at the search warrant and, and get the person because well, some, the, the US yeah. were, were were really involved in the background and, and I guess there's similar things we've seen in, in a lot of other situations and all around the world for instance there was a uh, and and there are, I mean there are agreements between governments that um, that say that this is going to happen. There aren't agreements between all countries. For instance, New Zealand and China, there aren't similar extradition orders in place. But I recall there was the uh, scenario with the taxi driver that was murdered in in Auckland, I think, uh, within the last couple of years, and the. Um, the alleged murderer um, fled to China, and he was actually tracked down in China. And I think in that case, he was probably convicted in China rather than being sent back. He was, to, yes. uh, rather than being sent back to New Zealand, but he was convicted for that crime that uh, that took place here. If there was an extradition um, agreement in place between New Zealand and China, he would have just been shunted back on a plane back to New Zealand to uh, you know to face his accusers and. And to uh, have that that matter settled here in New Zealand, so yeah, I, I'm okay with those, those types of scenarios. I think you know, um, uh, yeah, there there are cases where it might not be such a good idea to have some of these orders in place, but uh, if that's if that's an agreement the country's got, I guess we have to live by it, right? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm of a different. Uh, I think things like SOPRA and uh, the other one was it PEPRA? I can't remember the name of it now. There's all the different acronyms. You know, getting all these agreements put in place for, especially the American government, to control a lot of what's going on in the internet at the moment from their particular space, but the knock-on effect would be the rest of the world would get affected as well, whether we like to, even how they fudge it, that's the reality. And I, Yeah, I think that there, there, do need, there does need to be some framing around yeah. where these things can and can't happen. I mean, if there was no US aspect to the business, then I don't think it would make any sense at all. But my understanding is a large portion of these servers were based in the US, and that's uh, that you know they were running a large chunk of their business and so they actually in the US. They had 620 servers in the US, 575 in Hong Kong, and then a smattering in the Netherlands. So yeah, a few they, they, they definitely had probably you know 48 percent of their server range, but again. I'm surprised that they had anything in the U.S. I, I mean, I would have thought anyone that's going to do something illegal, you would stay well away from the U.S. And, you know, in the past when, uh, you know, we, we've seen uh, things like Pirate Bay and, and so on, uh, you know, those people have generally limited themselves to where they're based and where their servers sit. And, you know, they've worked very hard to make sure that they stay well clear of the law. But, um, you know, by mega upload actually operating um, infrastructure out of the US, that um, I think that, that 
invo- that invited this scenario that's uh, that's taken place, uh, the situation that's taken place over the last week or so. So the problem we've got now, though, is that there are another, let's just, uh, you know, 50 other of these type of sites smaller. So all that's going to happen is all this traffic's going to push to these smaller sites, which are going to become large. Wouldn't it be better in some ways, and this is a bit of a Nirvana feeling, but to try and sort out so that people can pay for the content legitimately, you know, legit, and actually have it as a cheap alternative at the moment. I mean, all they're doing is moving the problem from one site. It's going to go to five other sites, right? And guess what? In five years' time, and those five other sites already exist, right? Oh yeah, there's thousands of them out there. So you know, we're not really fixed. They're going to make an example out of this guy if they can prove it, but. The root cause, and I think I, I, the director's name just eludes me right now, but he went online and put a movie up there recently and put asked for donations, and they thought he was mad, and he made a million dollars in four days of donations, and people are still donating. So there's a, there is a propensity for people to pay, you know, whether it's a dollar an episode or whatever it's doing. So in some ways, I agree we don't want to have piracy, but in some, we've also got to have the ability that these things – if you go out there, there is a demand, you know, and that's what absolutely. Costs. And in a country like New Zealand in particular, where it is harder to get content, I think it's only natural that we're going to see a lot of content is going to get pirated until the distribution methods improve, and it's much easier to get hold of uh, of content using other mechanisms. And you know, if we, if we look at, for instance, you know, iTunes before iTunes launched in New Zealand, I think there would have been a lot more. Uh, Piracy of music than oh, you know, yeah. than than after it launched. Now, um, yeah, we've talked a lot on this show, for instance, about Netflix and and some of those some of those other sorts of services. Um, we need we need a really broad range of services to launch locally in the New Zealand market that are available and accessible to the general public. If we're going to see uh, the likes of mega upload and so on, you know, decrease in popularity. But bear in mind, even in the US, where there, where there are a broader range of services, you know, these things still get used as well. So there will be a, there will be an audience that will you know will always use these tools as long as they're reasonably easy and accessible. Uh, but the more we make uh, we make content available legally through accessible online online channels, I think uh, the more popular they will become. Yep, and reiterating, in no way are we supporting the piracy side of things. I do. Agreed. I can just imagine Agreed. this getting article getting out. The NZ Tech podcast support piracy. So, but in other news, we so did, been, well, there's all sorts of things that that have been going on. Um, we've got uh, Rim Research in Motion, who are the makers of the BlackBerry. Yes. Now they've they've been in this odd situation uh, where they've had the uh, the co CEOs, two sort of side by side CEOs. Now I don't quite know how that works to have uh, two people running the show. Um, it, it, it's it's so unusual for a business, but they operated like that way for a long time. Um, they have really lost so much market share in in recent years, and they've just um, they've of course appointed their uh, new CEO who's uh, who's come from uh, come from within, um, and the the talk that we're hearing is that um, they're going to have a bigger focus on the consumer market, which. Uh, um, Again, sounds sounds odd because BlackBerry is a product that has been uh, primarily targeted at the enterprise market, and that's been their strength for years. And yeah, how do you change a ship that big and change their direction so quickly? So you know, we've recently seen, of course, the failure of their their playbook, their seven inch tablet, 
released to market without um, any standalone email capability. You needed a BlackBerry handset to use it, but of course, the, you know the number of people using Blackberries, you know, has has dwindled in recent years. So quite strange. Their new uh, new versions of their uh, operating system uh, have been uh, postponed quite a quite a way out, sort of towards the end of the year, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So, yeah, that mm, I I personally I don't see I don't see them recovering back to um, back to a major place within the mobile uh, mobile space. I would almost say that um, they're in the position that Palm were in, um, yep. you know, going back a, a couple of years. Um, very very hard to get back from where they are. Unless something major happens, such as somebody buys them out, moves very quickly, take over, and, and and ties their technology into something else. The reason, though, I don't think that will happen is that investors still have too much tied up in this company, and if someone was to come and buy it out, it would just be too expensive. Yes. So I I actually think that, um, yeah, Rim doesn't have a particularly bright future. That would be that would be my opinion, but let's wait and see. And you know we've seen uh, we've seen brands come back. Of course, we had um, um, you know we've had we are, we've seen ups and downs of all sorts of brands. So yeah, let, let's give it some time. Uh, I you know none of us really know what's going to happen, what the future holds. So um, yeah, we will leave that one be. Now, uh, new product releases in New Zealand in the last few days. We talked uh, going back a few months about the Samsung Omnia W, which was a new Windows uh, new Windows phone coming uh, into the uh, market through uh, Vodafone here in New Zealand. That one is uh, is finally out and about and uh, becoming available right now. Well, have you had a play with it? I, I've had managed to get my hands on one. So yeah, no, nice little handset. It's got um, being Samsung. They've got the Beautiful, bright, super AMOLED screen. Really, really nice. Uh, it's got the newer, faster uh, CPU and comes um, with the uh, Mango or, or 7.5 version of Windows Phone. Yeah, great great handset. Um, launching into the market here, I think 799 including GST, is just the full full uh, outright purchase price. So a little, a small step down from what the, um, the HTC Trophy and the... Um, what was the other? The LG handset that uh, Telecom launched last year, what they came into the market at. So a slightly lower price point, but of course those other handsets also ended up being uh, lower towards the end of their their uh, their life. So um, yeah, not a bad price point, about right probably in the market for the specs and, and what type of device it is and, and the sort of phones that it competes with in terms of iPhone and uh, and Android handsets. I'm particularly looking forward to seeing some more handsets coming onto the market, like the the Nokia. Uh, That's the Lu- one everyone's Lumia waiting phones. for. Um, they're really, really nice. Of course, you know we we've had quite a play with those, and you know the um, the the Nokia Lumia 900, which was shown off around at CES, is going to have a 3G variant launched uh, internationally as well. So we would expect that to come out into the New Zealand market. 
you know, sometime maybe over the next six months or so. So, uh, there, yeah, there's a lot of there are a lot of phones coming uh, coming through. We saw lots. Of, I saw a lot of Android phones at CES from a whole range of vendors. Uh, Motorola had uh, uh, had their new new ones. Uh, there were two there. Now they were particularly targeting the US market, uh, LTE and so on. Uh, one of those was quite cool. Had a three hundred. A milliamp hour battery which is double the size of a normal cell phone battery was it a big phone though and it, and it wasn't a particularly big phone yeah maybe added on a couple more mils overall but um yeah i, I don't know how they squeeze the battery in but uh yeah i think we will see a bit of that um over the next little while um particularly with the launch of lte phones because if you recall when we moved from 2g to 3g handsets battery life was it was shortened i don't know if it was halved but it it was dramatically shortened and moving from 3g to 4g just has because you're pushing that much more data through there's uh, more more of a uh, a power draw you've got a similar sort of scenario so uh, having batteries that are 50 80 100% bigger than your your uh, or 120% bigger than your typical battery um, is something that we might see a, l- a little bit more of. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether any of those uh, big batteries end up in 3G devices so you actually end up with a smartphone that really lasts for a, for a few days, which would be quite good. Yeah, especially with all the, like you said, the LTE and the 4G stuff coming along, which absolutely choose through your battery from what we're hearing. Um yeah, uh, one of the interviews I think you did at CES on on episode fifty two that we we always sort of didn't have enough time for was talking to those guys and they were able to drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas and back again using GPS and it didn't run out of battery, which is a phenomenal amount of travel. Yeah, yep. So they had the phone on the whole time and uh, had that given their GPS uh, mapping guidance and so on. So um, yeah, quite quite cool. So um, obviously, other news of CEOs or ex CEOs moving on is um, Jerry Yang from Yahoo, the co-founder. He's gone. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's cashed up and left. Yeah, and and not a moment too soon. I think many oh, have, many many have been saying. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, he was he he was he was the founder, right? But sometimes it's it is just time to move on, and sometimes the genius that starts a company is not the right person to actually. Uh, is to, not the right person to run it longer term, and you know I think there there have been a a fairly a fairly big number of people that have felt that way about uh, uh, Jerry Yang's presence at at Yahoo over the last few years. So, hey, let's um, let's look forward and 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 hope that they can pull something out of the bag because Yahoo just really haven't been performing very well of uh, of late and. Uh, you know, maybe this will work for them. Of course, he's been on again, off again, and uh, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I, I think it wasn't wasn't the best move to have him back in there as uh, you know, in a, in a senior uh, senior senior role. And uh, it's good to see him completely out of the way, from my perspective. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not quite as harsh as you. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it's been built around the media and that. I think he, I think it was definitely his time to go, but I don't think he was quite as bad as a lot of the media were making out to be with his, what he was looking to do. I think it's one of those places where the organisation got so big he actually lost control to influence, if that makes any sense, and the board ran it too much, and he wanted to, I think he was fighting too much with his own board to try and get some of the changes he wanted to do. And every time he suggested something, they would say no, and he would fight back. And 
I think the politics just got too much. So I, I, I yeah, I'm, I am sad to see him go because I do have this small nostalgic passion for when entrepreneurs start something and then get kicked out. You look at your jobses and those type of guys, and I, I do hope he comes back with something bigger and better. Actually. Okay. Well, yeah, and and he's probably you know he's probably the sort of guy that that can do, that can bring something really new to the market. But in terms of being a guy to to run a company, that might not be what his skill set is um, to to run one longer term. So I don't know. Let's uh, let's wait. Let's wait and see. As I always say, um, I'm sure that we will hear from Jerry Yang uh, again in the future. Yes, he's not poor. Let me put it that way. No, although he would have been uh, a whole lot richer if he had accepted um, Microsoft's takeover bid a few years ago. I think they were offering, uh, they got offered about $40 US a share. Yeah. And um, last time I looked, I think the Yahoo shares were around $15. So uh, uh, he might have been worth, you know, I don't know what his, his holdings worth. Maybe he would have he would have sold out and got about $3 billion. Uh, now he's probably only worth $1 billion. Poor guy. How could he cope with only that much? So, changing tap for a sec, um, I listened to the Apple education announcement last week, and they showed off the iBooks 2 with the um, interactive, the, the textbooks and interactive stuff that's coming through. Now, what do you think? Do you, have you managed to consume some of that information yet with you traveling and everything? Uh, yeah, I saw I saw a little bit around that. Um yeah, no, I mean, I must say I haven't had a chance to sort of sit down and 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 digest sort of what what the impact of all of that is. I think there were some interesting uh, comments online around if you use Apple's new tools to publish your own uh, your own book, um, that there are severe limitations around what you can do. So some people have compared this to if you were to produce, you might wrote a book and you produce it in Microsoft Word, um, that, you know, look, Microsoft don't then charge you uh, 30%. A, 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 a percentage, uh, 30% I think was that in yep. Apple's case, yep. uh, of any uh, anything you earn off uh, off that that um, that product, whereas you know the understanding here is if you use Apple software, which bear in mind it's free, so there's no there's no cost for the software. If you use the software to produce your book and then distribute it using mechanisms other than Apple's um, iBook Store, then um, you will have to pay the same um, the same. Um, uh, that thirty percent back to Apple, even though it's not going through their distribution channels, which I, I thought, yeah, quite fascinating, and it certainly sparked some reasonably heated debate online. But it's not free. That's not free in my eyes. It it'd be like saying, imagine getting Microsoft Word for free, but for every document that you create, you have to pay Microsoft ten cents. Sure, and everyone would go, oh, sure. Word's free, but the document you're not, you are still paying for it at some sure. point, yeah. and. And this is the frustrating thing. I think that, you know people get very confused. They they like to stand up on their soapboxes and saying, "Oh, it's it's a free thing," but it, it's not. And you are paying in some roundabout way. There is a pricing model there that they make money out of it. And at the end of the day, that's what they're a business to do, which is fine. But it's not a yeah. I, a, I I've I've had a look at it, and I've had a play, and I've, I've had a play with the prototype stuff that I'm allowed to t- talk about because uh, I'm on one of the beta programs. 
for the iBook stuff and I haven't done the development tools yet. I haven't downloaded them because I just rebuilt my iPad the other night because um, it crashed again for the 50th time so I decided to do a rebuild and I will um, hopefully have a play while I'm away on holiday. Nice. So does that mean we're going to miss you next week, Brad? We are. I'm going to Bali. So I'm actually going technology-free. No Wi-Fi in the hotels, no nothing. I bet you're not going technology-free. I bet you're going to take some gadgets with oh, you. I have gadgets like iPads <laughs> for the kids to watch movies on. But yeah. my wife said to me, "Are you going to have, we're going to have Wi-Fi in the hotel room. I went, nope, nothing. No oh, phone. That will be fun. That will, you'll be truly unplugging from the Matrix and, uh, and chilling out. I hope you get some uh, some great time on the beach and... <laughs> Just yeah, totally relaxed. I think you deserve it, mate. You've been uh, you've been working very very hard for weeks, if not months, on end. Yeah, it's been a busy few months. But um, so other technology news around around the country at this point in time. Obviously, we've had Christmas coming through. We've had some great sales. Things are starting to ramp up again. I'm I'm seeing I'm hearing a lot of word around new data centres coming into New Zealand. Um, I'm. I find this really interesting that especially with the Christchurch earthquake that we had here in New Zealand, which is we're still feeling a lot of the effects in that part of the country, is that we're seeing this uh, quite a big exodus now to these outsourcing hosting environments. And this is seeing a huge raft of local data centers springing up all around New Zealand now, like really nice facilities coming through. Now, we are hopefully going to go look at... Orcons, is that correct? Uh, yeah, we're going to go and have a look and, and see some of the uh, facilities of, of Orcon coming weeks. Where, yeah, we, we've been keeping an eye out, and yeah, it is good to go and actually have a look and, and see what uh, what some of the local companies are uh, are doing with their networks. And one of the reasons that we're talking to Orcon is they've told us they are going to be at the forefront of uh, providing uh, UFB services in New Zealand. So what's UFB? The ultra-fast broadband. So this is, of course, the uh, fibre-optic network that um, the government, uh, through their uh, Crown Fibre Holdings entity, uh, is working on in conjunction with their uh, their local partners, such as Chorus and North Power, um, Well Energy, and uh, and the guys in Christchurch. So, um, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be getting some more insights on uh, on what their moves are going to be in in that space in the coming weeks when we go and visit them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I love seeing all the lights and the, the smell of a data center. You can never get past it. <laughs> now, one of the other interesting um, stories that, that came up in the in the last few days. Is there's a small, um, well, uh, what started as a very small uh, New Zealand uh, tech firm that offers email um, uh, marketing and, and distribution services for some fairly big uh, global players uh, that has just launched on the stock exchange in uh, in Germany. It's a weird place to launch, isn't it? I, I mean, don't get me wrong, awesome that you've you've done it, guys. But Germany, I, I, so it's kind of a maybe that's where their biggest market is at this point in time. Because a lot of people, or a try and list to New Zealand or go across the Australian one is the most obvious one. But German market, I think it's great to see some of the um, some of the companies in New Zealand breaking across into, into that part of the part of the world. Yeah, I think uh, there are obviously some advantages of moving on to uh, onto the, the the German exchange, and yeah, I guess it must be it must be a lower cost thing to do. So um, yeah, that was one of the interesting um, stories that I first heard about in the um, well, I only heard about it in the in the New Zealand uh, in the New Zealand Herald. Now that's interesting because they, the, I mean, they publish some interesting bits and pieces, and some of them are interesting for how uh, how poor they are. I'm looking at a headline at the moment which says IBM Storage Tech 
crunches 12 times the data. Now, usually when you hear about some advance, advance in sort of data storage and it's something that's coming years out and so on, you expect to hear a headline much bigger than, you know, 10 or 12 times. You know, that's kind of, you know, that's a pretty uh, common sort of advancement, I guess, for, you know, future far-out technology. Um, so I read a little bit further in the story, and it seems like that whoever wrote the headline actually didn't actually read the story, which um, presumably got fed to them from uh, from offshore. Um, if I've read it correctly, what it what it says is that they've managed to um, they've managed to squeeze down how much. Um, if I've got this right, how many atoms are required to store a bit of data, right? Now, what what it actually says is they've dropped down from needing about a million atoms to store an individual bit of data um, down to 12. So in my calculation... Um, <laughs> That is an increase of Brad. What what would you put that? That's about eighty thousand yes. times. No. Yep, that's about right. Yep, yep. keep going. You are on the right track. Yep, right. So where they got this headline of twelve twelve times from um, is yeah, just looks like somebody hasn't hasn't read that at all. So um, yeah, very, very odd. Um, but that actually that. If you read the rest of the story, and if they've actually they can actually crunch down this uh, storage, and I think they talk. I mean, the picture shows hard disk storage. So, um, and I think that's what they're that's what they're referring to. If they can actually, um, you know, squeeze squeeze that by uh, eighty thousand times, we're either going to have hard drives we don't see <laughs> because they're so small; they're only a, a, a few thousand atoms in size, um, or we're going to have hard drives that store um, huge, huge amounts of, you know, of data. We might be, uh, you know, maybe talking exabytes worth of uh, worth of data in a, um, you know, in a standard uh, hard drive. Look, all, all I want is an Intel CPU that doesn't require a fan, guys. I don't want a, these hard drives. I just... Don't. Now, that, that actually leads me on to a topic that I did meant to get back to you on from, because uh, yeah. I know we talked about that during CES I or before CES, you. and what I found was there are actually a whole bunch of these devices around that are fanless. Oh, thank goodness. And we just didn't realize it. Now, one of the reasons we didn't realize is because they still have a heat sink and they have that gap for the a grill for the air to come out so you look at it you think oh there must be a fan in there but actually that is just the space where the heat uh, comes out so you're not getting the fan noise there isn't any fan noise on a lo- on a lot of these new devices i think the samsung series 9 probably uh, among them with um, the new one with a you know with a uh, heat sink and a grill where that heat can, can come out uh, and there yeah there do seem to actually be a whole range of laptops and devices in that space that are uh, are fanless. So there you go, good news. I'm happy now. Yep. So um, now we'll have to find one that uh, that you actually want to buy. Oh, I'm looking at the new, all the new Ultrabooks looking pretty, pretty snappy to me right at the moment. But look, until Windows 8 comes out, I'm actually getting quite conservative. I haven't even installed the developer preview. Um, 
the what they're calling. You've had a play with it, though. So I've had a play yeah, with it, yeah, but yeah, I haven't, haven't been installing it on, nah, on any of your equipment. Oh, old days, I would have installed it everywhere. Now, holding back, I'm going to wait through at least until comes well, we've, got the, we've got the consumer preview that's going to come out uh, in just about um, in the next, I think, um, three to four weeks, roughly. Uh, that's that's been announced as sort of late February as official date, and uh, something interesting that uh, Mary Jo Foley uh, raised was that um, they're not calling it a beta. No, it came out at CES that they're calling this the uh, consumer preview. What we saw already is the developer preview of Windows 8, uh, and I've been you know running that sort of since since it came out on one of our machines. But it, I must say, it hasn't been getting heavy usage. We're we're really waiting on this consumer preview that should be much more uh, useful and ready to go and that will be the release that if it's good enough I will install on a laptop and uh, and and you know see whether it's good enough for a day-to-day type usage and you know I'm picking the way that Microsoft is starting to play these things if it's anything like what we saw with Windows 7 uh, and, and even Vista that um, you know the 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 next uh, release that they make, you know, pre-release product they make available will be very uh, close in terms of functionality and reliability to the actual final product. So, I guess we'll delve into that a little bit more in a few weeks' time once that uh, once that actually lands, and, and you know, if a few more bits and pieces of uh, info leak out. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things I'm going to talk, I'm going to do some reading while I'm away on is the new file system that's coming out with. Windows Server, which is REFS, REFS now, or REFS. Now, that's only server at the moment um, and not the consumer side. So the consumer, we don't know. They've just, they haven't talked about when that's going to happen, but this will be the – for people that have used Windows Server Home uh, home Server, the early versions where you had the dynamic disks and all the, the really cool stuff that we all – the drive extender stuff – Think of it like that. It's a little bit cooler, but it, it's got some very, very smart, a lot of smarts built into it. And on the Windows blog, they've actually got this massive, I think it's 2,000-word article, which goes into quite some detail around how it all works. So Yeah, no, it sounds good because you'll be able to mix and match different drives of different sizes yep. and spread your data around. And if one of them fails, then it's got that sort of redundancy and resiliency built in to, um, um, to, to, to just keep operating. So, yeah, there's some there's some interesting um, some interesting um, bits of information there in, in Microsoft's blog online. They've also been talking about how uh, how Windows 8 will work with uh, mobile, and their their article doesn't release a whole lot of new info because this capability um, has been in the developer build that that that's been out already. Uh, but there's a good bit of info about how that works, and and it makes um, you know laptops and tablets that have a, a 3G capability or 4G capability built in uh, much smarter compared to previous uh, desktop operating systems in terms of the way that that they handle that, in terms of being able to uh, lock down and say, well, I just want look, I'm going to go online with 3G, but I don't want you know, say Windows Update or this or that, whatever it is, to use my 3G. I just want three to use 3G so I can clear my email or so I can visit this web page. So you can sort of uh, monitor those things and I think potentially lock it down. I haven't looked into all of the detail there, but it look it looks good. It looks smart, uh, and you know we have track all that usage and. Um, um, so on, you know, see your signal strengths, etc. So, um, yeah, that looks good. Um, one of the other things around uh, Windows Windows 8 is the uh, refresh and reset 
uh, your PC capability that uh, Stephen Sonofsky talked about in a blog, I think, uh, at the beginning of uh, of January, if I remember correctly. That one is, is well worth a read for those of you that have ever had to rebuild your machine because it's been getting a bit slow or your machine's got to the end of its life and you want to give it to somebody else. Uh, these refresh and reset your PC capabilities sound really, really cool. They're stunning. Now, Paul Therott on winsupersite.com has done a lot of articles and he's put some videos up there as well and he is a huge fan of this and it's a very very cool feature that I see developing a lot further along the platform I think this looks really cool yeah it makes a lot of sense to me one of the you know scenarios I see uh, you know organizations so the machine gets to the end of its life and they would just like to recover that back to a nice clean state so maybe a staff member can you know take it home to have a little bit of a play with it's not really reliable and fast enough to be you know, useful for business use but maybe somebody will take it home to give to their kids uh, but hey they've got to you know wipe the whole thing and 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 that can be a difficult uh, process to get it down there so yeah there there are a whole number of scenarios in which this might be uh, might well be useful uh, but that's uh, I think that's probably us actually for this uh, for this week, uh, Brad. I think we've really covered uh, we've covered all the bases. A whole lot more that we want to dive into, uh, but we'll move those to uh, to next week's show. Um, and sadly, we'll be uh, we'll be missing you next week because uh, you'll be on the beaches of um, of Bali. Yes, Nusadur, here I come. Enjoy. All right. Well, uh, hey, thanks everyone very much for listening in once again to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. You can, of course, always find us online, nztechpodcast.com, facebook.com slash nztechpodcast. Please tweet us as well at nztechpodcast or feel, feel free to uh, to get in touch with uh, with Brad and myself uh, directly on Twitter. Um, Brad, yours is? Uh, Brad Bohr, at Brad Bohr. And my Twitter handle, just my name, Paul Spain. And, of course, you can also email us, feedback at nztechpodcast.com. So thanks, everyone. We will catch you next week. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.